Hi everyone, it's Dina McKay, and I'm back with a brand new episode of Black Tech Unplugged, the podcast that allows Blacks in tech to share their authentic stories with you, the listener. On each episode, the guest talks about how they got into tech, their work in the industry, and lessons they've learned during their journey. You can find full show notes for this episode on blacktechunplugged.com. On this episode, I have a former colleague, Yaz Hill, on the podcast. Yaz is a seasoned tech recruiter and sourcer from Detroit, Michigan, with seven years of experience in the field. Now based in Chicago, Yaz holds several recruiting certifications and is passionate about bridging the gap for underrepresented communities in tech and providing an authentic candidate experience under the principle of common humanity. During Yaz's time off, she enjoys anime, currently Chainsaw Man, Jigsaw Puzzles, and playing bass. If you want to connect with Yas after listening to this episode, her LinkedIn and her cat's IG is in the show notes at blacktechunplugged.com. So on this episode, Yas and I discuss what it means to be a sorcerer in tech, things sorcerers look for when they're trying to find candidates for the roles that they have open, And then she lets me take a deep dive into a recruiter's mind and she answers some questions around how we can be better candidates when we're applying for roles. I hope you enjoy this episode. And if you do, rate and subscribe on whatever platform you're listening to this episode today. Now, before we jump into the episode, I do have a couple of announcements. Starting with, in the United States, it is Black History Month. And so everyone is celebrating the Black history that we celebrate every day on this podcast. So just wanted to call that out. But in regards to Black History Month, I partnered with a couple organizations and we are bringing some very special content to you. So first up, Black Tech Unplugged has joined forces with Peacock to promote their upcoming series, Founding in Color. The series, which will air on Peacock and Xfinity starting Thursday, February 16th, takes a deep dive into the untold story of 11 Black and Latino entrepreneurs navigating unique challenges on their path to success. I'm thrilled to partner with them in an effort to raise visibility and exposure for this important series. Founding in Color provides an intimate look at the challenges faced by underrepresented entrepreneurs and offers practical solutions for success. I believe that the series will be an invaluable resource for anyone interested in entrepreneurship and diversity and inclusion. Don't miss out on this groundbreaking series. Tune in to Peacock and Xfinity starting February 16th to watch Founding in Color and join the conversation on social media. You can find hashtags in the show notes. Make sure to also follow Black Tech Unplugged on Instagram, Facebook, or subscribe to the newsletter for more details and events in the next couple of weeks. Also, Black Tech Unplugged is partnering with Watts Productions, based out of Dallas, to premiere their new drama series, Frame of Reference. The series is about a young, highly competitive Black chief technology officer. That's right, a CTO who is Black, but he is diagnosed with Parkinson's, and due to his diagnosis, he becomes obsessed with trying to control the inevitable. The series explores the vulnerable and hectic lives of a close-knit group of friends and provides a truthful evaluation of how fear and past misfortunes can define our present point of view. The series will be released in the next couple of weeks, but before you watch, I'm giving you an opportunity to not only meet the cast, but also meet the two sisters who created the drama the Zachary sisters. 
I can't wait for you all to see this drama. This is not a to be film. This is an amateur hour. This series is dope as hell. And I know because I got a sneak peek. So if you like binge watching shows, you love drama, think Shonda Rhimes-esque, you're going to love this series. Again, follow Black Tech Unplugged on social and subscribe to the newsletter for more details. And all those links will be in the show notes. I partnered with some really great businesses and I need my BTU community to support. How can you support? Great question. You can support by attending the events, which will be virtual so all of you can attend, but also share those events with your friends and family who will be interested. I would appreciate it so much. So I'm going to say thank you in advance. I'm very happy I can bring some new exclusive content to our community, and I hope you enjoy all of it. That's all my announcements for today. So let's go ahead and jump into the episode. Let's get it. Hi, everyone, and welcome to a brand new episode of Black Tech Unplugged. I'm joined by Yasmin today. Hey, Yas. Hey, how are you? Good. I'm very excited to have you here. And to kick off the episode, I usually kick off with something called the check-in. So this is like a brief introduction. So I want you to say your full name, location, your current role, and then the number of years you've been in tech. Yeah. My name is Yasmin Hill. I have been in tech for about six years and recruiting in eight, and I'm located in Chicago. So yes, to get started, your technical title is Technical Sourcer. So I want to start off with what does that really mean? Yeah, that's a great question. So technical sourcing can mean different things depending on the organization. But what I do primarily and what a sourcer would do is find candidates and engage them and move them through the process. Now, for some sourcers, they may stop their process and hand off to a recruiter when it comes to on-site and the recruiter does all the closing and negotiation. Some sourcers take the candidate entirely through the process and that's depending on the organization and how they have things set up. But what I can say is that the sourcer is the expert in finding a candidate. So sourcing, and then engaging those candidates. And for you, how do you find candidates? Where do you look? Oh, that's a great question. Mostly, I feel like there's a lot of candidates on LinkedIn. But what I really like to do is leverage file type sourcing and different types of Boolean strings. And so I use Google, DuckDuckGo, and Bing okay. to find candidates. So I may find their GitHub or... I may find them on a different forum and things like that. And then I try to track their resume down, their contact information down to be able to reach out to them. But I'm looking everywhere. I'm looking high and low. I'm going to different meetings. If you have a friend that has a friend, I always try to leverage my own network. So anyone that I've already spoken to, hey, do you know anyone with this skill set? And who do you work with? And who have you worked with? Who do you enjoy working with? And kind of take it from there. I think the best way to find a candidate is finding them through your network and people you already know, people that can vouch for you and they can vouch for them as well. So when it comes to finding a candidate, what catches your eye? Because obviously there's a million people on LinkedIn. Is it the current role or is it their bio? What actually catches your attention? So when I'm looking for a specific type of profile, I'm looking at the skill set and the responsibilities. So it's super important for any job seeker to list those in their profile, list those on their resume. So they are findable. Titles vary through different organizations. So a data scientist at 
LinkedIn may not be the same as a data scientist for PepsiCo. Right. They may have different responsibilities. And so for me, it really comes down to what you're doing on the day-to-day. Who are your stakeholders? Who are you supporting? What tools have you worked with? What languages are you working with? What certifications you have? Those are the things to highlight in a profile, in a resume, because that's what I'm going to look for. A title doesn't necessarily always reflect what you're doing or doesn't translate to the job description that I may have. Right. And how many times have you run into, you think someone has a certain responsibilities or, you know, hold certain credibility and then you're going through the interview process and you're like, wow, you didn't do exactly what I thought you did. And now you're not a good fit. Oh gosh. I think that happens maybe 30 to 50% of the time. And I'll, I'll say this. Oftentimes it's that people don't put enough on the resumes. I find that, especially in tech, there's little to no detail. It's sort of like, okay, well, I work with SQL, I work with Python, but what are you doing? Like, are you using it for object-oriented language? Are you working with data? So those details are important. But when you have those conversations, initially on the first conversation that I have, Mm -hmm. I'm able to get a good grasp of, oh, well, what's on your resume is maybe what your team did, but not what you've done. I find that with a lot of junior candidates, someone that's one to three years, I would say that it happened a lot more when I first started recruiting and less now because I have a better understanding of what questions to ask. And I have a better conceptual knowledge of the skill set that I'm supporting. When I first started, I may have been sourcing for a Java developer and I didn't know the difference between Java and JavaScript. They were like, yeah, I Java develop. And I was like, okay, you know, like (laughs) someone else that's more technical will figure it out, but it won't be me. And I think that that was the turning point once I realized I do need to have a better understanding of what these people do to have a conversation and just being transparent about it. Like I'm not a developer. So if it's a new skill set, I'll tell them straight up, like, I don't know what you do. Can you explain what you do in layman's terms? And that makes all the difference. If they're able to explain what they do, then I can believe them. (laughs) That's probably, then that's probably what you do. You know, like I source every day, so I'm able to break that down. But if you ask me about, you know, maybe changing oil or, you know, higher pressure, I'm like, I you put the, air the tire and that's it. Yeah, right. that's that's not me. That is not me. I think starting outsourcing it it happened a lot more where you get in a conversation and you're pushing people through because they sound good and I want to fill the role and the hire manager wants me to fill the role. This person wants to be hired. We all have the same goal. Right. Um, and then through those technical interviews, I realized I'm reading the feedback cards and I'm like, wow, I missed this, I missed that. And so now I would say that. And maybe 10%, sometimes things change and people's motivations change during the process, but it doesn't happen as often. And listen, people talk a good game. People talk a good game when they're interviewing. You even see it in memes, right? Where you see someone's like, oh, I'm a team player. Then somebody come up to your desk and you're like, what do you want? Same concept, (laughs) but to elaborate on your resume comment in regards to detail, you said to make sure to put detail who you're working with, what you accomplished, et cetera. Just wanted to get more insight from you. What does a detailed resume that you would like actually look like? Yeah, a detailed resume would leave me with little to no questions. Mm -hmm. I would know your stakeholders. I would know the type of projects that you worked on. 
I would know what coding languages you know, what projects you worked on them with or you use them for. I would also know your education and details of your previous roles. And on the flip side, I don't think that you need to include why you change roles or any information about a job gap. In my opinion, if a recruiter is harping on why you have a job gap, then I would question why. In my opinion, I would want to work with someone that understands that people are people. And so for me, if I see a job gap that's like six months, a year, especially if it's like 2019 to now, I'm like, I, I was there. I know, like, you know, like, I know what happened. We were right. all there. Everyone was there. So I'm not about to ask you, like, so what did you do during the pandemic? Did you get on course to year or take a bunch of certifications? Like, maybe you were just in a panic and that's okay. Like, you did not have to start a small business just because <laughs> the world was in flames. And I'm not pressing you if you didn't. If you just laid down and took naps all day, that's okay. Yes. Um, I get it. <laughs> like, I, I get it. I'm here for it. I'm with you. And I'm not going to press you on that. But those are things that I would not put on my resume and, and instead have a conversation about when I'm going through my job history and just to be completely on front with the recruiter that I'm working with. I want to go back to your early stages because you mentioned when you began as a sorcerer recruiter and you talked through not knowing technical skills and those technical details, but learning that throughout the process. I want to start all the way back. How did you even get into this type of role well, I started recruiting right out of college and I started in manufacturing. I wanted to be in a job where I could help people. And my degree is in theater. And how it was explained to me, it's like, well, you're helping people by providing them the opportunity to provide for their family. Like it's way more than getting a job. It's how people buy food and how people take care of their kids and how they support themselves and buy their Chipotle or whatever the case is. And that really stuck with me. So I started in staffing. I was supporting the manufacturing industry. I was still in Detroit. And from there, I moved to supporting engineering for the automotive industry. It was a little more advanced than just plain manufacturing and metal stamping. It was more of like working with Chrysler and their MVH engineers. And it's like noise vibration engineers, things that I never thought about that went into cars. I'm like, oh, there's a carpet engineer. Like, (laughs) <laughs> I, I'm like, do I even have rugs? I don't know. <laughs> like, I would have never thought that there's an engineer that designs the carpet to absorb sound. And now it makes sense. But originally, I was like, I, I don't know. And during that role, I was able to support Ford and their data engineering. And that was my first step into tech. And I was so amazed because I... I'm looking at these websites and as I'm learning more, I'm like, okay, this is the front end and we've all had Tumblr. So I'm kind of understanding, you know, like, okay, well, this is what I was doing when I was on MySpace and this is how I changed the color of my page (laughs) and getting a better understanding of that. From there, I took a role at Swoon Staffing, straight tech recruiting, and it was very competitive. The clients that I was supporting they use BMS systems, so vendor management systems. So they, I'm competing with not only my teammates mm-hmm. to fill the roles, but also all of these other organizations, all the other businesses that may the odds be forever in your favor. And you just <laughs> you just got to try to find the first person. You're reaching out to people that everyone's reaching out to because we all have the same tools and resources. We all have LinkedIn right. or Dice. 
We all have access, monster, these different job boards. So everyone's messaging the same people. You had to be quick. I want you to explain more of that competition, even with your own colleagues. So basically you were in this role of like, put someone in this role first. Here, you get the money because you actually filled the role. How does that work from a recruiter standpoint? So this is specifically VMS recruiting. How it was set up at the org that I was at is that there were different teams of people and they supported these clients. So you had tiers of bronze, silver, gold. And let's say McDonald's is a gold. That means that we have hiring manager contact. We can kind of go through the back door to send our candidates. Silver was like, well, we're on their premium list. So they would release the job description to us first. And Mm -hmm. then they have other tiers of suppliers that they work with, and then they would release it to them. And then the bronze tier is you're waiting for the job description to be released after they've released it to their premium suppliers. And so within the organization, you're competing with your teammates to get to that gold tier so you can support those clients. Mm -hmm. So it was based on seniority, essentially. So the longer you're there, the more hires you'll get and you'll move up and tier to be able to support the gold tier. But you're competing at the bronze tier to get there while also competing with the other suppliers that have already had the rec for, you know, a day or two days or whatever, 48 hours before they release it to this. Seems, org. I don't know. It's almost like like the Hunger Games of recruiting. It is, especially you're all reaching out to the same candidate. So if I have a project manager for this role, maybe I'm on for a bronze tier role and you want this same project manager for gold, Mm -hmm. I would need to let you run with the candidate because it's a higher chance, it's a higher probability that they'll actually be seen for your role versus mine. Mm -hmm. So essentially you can just take my candidate. (laughs) Essentially, you can take my candidate and then I don't necessarily get credit for it unless I found the candidate first. If I found the candidate first, Mm -hmm. then I get to run with them with your goal job description, essentially. So yeah, it uh, it was a lot. It is essentially 100 games and it does they say they call it healthy competition, but it I think it just it's not it's not healthy because uh, you can't help but side eye like one you're right. working on roles that are super easy for you. I'm struggling. Not only am I struggling, but if I do find a good candidate that you like, you can have them. <laughs> you, you just get to take them. And that was one of the reasons that I wanted to get out of those type of roles. I didn't want to work BMS anymore. It was so stressful. I would be sourcing and like making calls from like 8am to maybe 8pm. Like I'm calling people after work and Mm. after hours to try to connect with them because these are the people that no one was able to access during the day. And so Mm. I find I have an advantage. The people that, you know, only needs to work eight hours, they've gone home and I'm still sourcing and and reaching out to people just to kind of get a leg up. So yeah, that was my experience with VMS recruiting. And then uh, I moved into... Hopefully not Hunger Games round two. (laughs) No, it was not Hunger Games round two, but (laughs) almost similarly. I worked for a digital transformation org similar to Ken and Carta before I was at Ken and Carta. And it was a contract. They wanted me to move to the Bay Area. And I was like, I don't want, I did not want to move to the Bay Area. Like I've seen the cost of living there and- No, thank you. Like, no thanks. 
Plus, it's I know we talk about Chicago weather, but I prefer to have four seasons because I know they exist um, versus it being like summer, summer, <laughs> summer, maybe fall. Um, <laughs> and and then I, I ended at, at Ken and Carta and really enjoyed my time there and was able to support different lines of business. And I started with supporting the QA engineers and then I moved over to e-commerce. And now I am at Uber supporting the data science and applied science functions. So Yasmin, you've had quite a journey. So for people who are looking to get into this role, what terms or what words should they be looking up on LinkedIn or in their job search so that they can align to the right positions? Yeah, sourcing is one. And regardless if you're a recruiter or a sourcer, that'll probably pop up. Stakeholder management, pipeline. So pipeline is what we call the candidates that are coming through. And I think more specifically, it's important to have an understanding of what type of recruiter you want to be. If you want to be in tech, what function do you want to support? There's so many different areas of tech that exist. Before I had no clue what data science is, and now I, I have an understanding of that. Or if you want to do software development or you want to work more on the project side with like scrum masters and project coordinators, getting a better understanding of the tech field in general, I think would, would be helpful. More specifically for a recruiter, Boolean searching is super important and managing an ATS. That's the applicant tracking system. And that's where all the applicants go. They're pretty similar in terms of systems. Once you learn the system, it, it's pretty easy moving. And it just depends on how your organization likes to track applicants. Some people don't use their applicant tracking system. Some people just use spreadsheets. I am not a spreadsheet person. It, not it, it spreadsheets really in 2023. On. Like, that's too much. Yeah. I thought we were trying to get away from spreadsheets. That's why we have all these systems. You would think. You would think. <laughs> <laughs> but sometimes, some, and sometimes you need a good little spreadsheet. I've been, oh, for I've been sure. learning more about data analysts and I'm like, okay, I'm understanding more why spreadsheets <laughs> exist. But those are some of the things that I will look for. That makes me think what, from your perspective, are the characteristics that really make someone an excellent source or a recruiter? One, being able to find people, because if you're not able to find anyone, then you can't move to the next step. Like, so I think that that's important. And then being genuine and being transparent. I I can understand ghosting people and I, I get where it comes from. So in where my does it come from? I'm not, the anxiety, I would say that it's an anxiety of disappointing someone else. I think it comes down to that and then a lack of time management. So it's a little bit of people pleasing. It's a little bit of people pleasing and avoidance behavior. Yeah, I think that's what it is. If they're not lost in your inbox, because that happens to everyone for everything. And so on behalf of all recruiters, I apologize if you're not getting a response because you got lost in the inbox. It happens. Sometimes you just get lost. But I do believe that when someone is in a process, when you have a candidate in a process and you don't have the heart to tell them that they're not moving forward, I think it's because there's a fear of that maybe backlash. I think that's a natural human response to a situation, especially one if you have a lot of emotion and passion and feeling towards it. Maybe you really want this person to get that role and they don't. You're kind of let down a little bit. So I think that's a human response. Yeah. The expectation is that your recruiter wouldn't do that, but it's hard. I'll tell you about a situation. I had to rescind an offer. <laughs> I had oh. to rescind an offer once. Yes. 
And I like, I could not believe it. It was, it, there was nothing I could do. And I like, before I was told that I had to rescind this offer, I like asked everything, like, is there some way that we can push the start date? Is there another role? Is there a way that we can pay this person for two weeks that they did onboarding? Because the the candidate, they had their laptop and everything. Like, they were ready to go. I had to call them the Friday before they started that Monday and yeah. say, like, hey, actually, no. Send that on back. And it took me maybe two, three hours to work up the nerve to call this person. I knew that I had to do it. and. Yeah. And I knew that it wasn't at any fault of my own. It's just the role closed and they they closed the entire project and there wasn't anything come down the pipeline. And sometimes that just happens. You know, business is unpredictable at times. But this is a person I've been talking to for like a month, a month and a half. And we've talked about his kids and his family and, you know, aspirations and, you know, like where he wants to move later and I know your your dog's name, you know, like at this point, we're friends, we build up that rapport and that relationship. And now I have to tell you, actually, you don't have a job, you know, that's, and you think about this, it's, these are people's livelihoods, like, hey, right. I, I have a family to take care of, I, you know, like, who knows, and he, he had just went on vacation to celebrate getting a job. And I'm like, Oh, my gosh, I have to call you while you're driving back from Disneyland. Oh, no. <laughs> And, and tell you that you, you don't have a job, and please bring back your laptop. And I was just like, oh my gosh, he's not going to give back the laptop. He's going to sell it. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's what, <laughs> that's what I, and if you did, I wouldn't be mad at you. Like I totally understand. I need to get something. I got a free laptop. Like that's how I would approach it. And then like and, to think about, he went from the happiest place on earth to you come back and you ain't got no job. That's bad. The unemployed. Yeah. I was about to cry. I had to go to the bathroom. They call them like, I don't know, the bathroom just seemed like a safe place. And I'm like, hey, unfortunately, this is what happened. I've already reached out to my network of recruiters just to see if, you know, anyone else is looking for, you know, your particular role. Like I sent your resume out. I'm messaging other recruiters that I'm seeing posting jobs like, hey, it's nothing wrong with this candidate. It's just that this is the thing that happened. And if you could help them and take them on, I appreciate it. And that response, it was like, I care for you as a person. Mm -hmm. So I want to help you out. And having that response, he appreciated it. But also, you know, like, it's still it was, ugh. and he was nice enough to say like, hey, I know this is not your fault. So given that reassurance, crazy thing is maybe like a week or two went by, he hadn't given back his laptop. And I was just about to call him to say like, hey, could you please send your laptop? Yeah, a role opened up. And he was able to keep it and he was able to start immediately. I was just like, oh my gosh, thank, thank goodness. Like that was the universe, prayer, God, whoever. Yes. Like I was so grateful and so relieved, so happy that it worked out that way. But sometimes it doesn't. And so I think that the quality of a recruiter for me that I appreciate is transparency. It's like the genuine care for one human to another from one person to another because everyone has something going on in their lives yes um at the very least i can be transparent with you so i don't waste your time and right. at the very least i can be a helping hand even if it's not a role within my organization and if i see something i'm more than happy to send candidates other jobs because it's about you being happy and also if we're all connected 
you're help, I'm helping you within my network. You're going to help me within your network when I do need help. When I'm looking for that hard to find person, you may suggest someone to me. So it's just give to receive and keep that energy going. Yeah. And yes, and we have to go back in your story because there's two points I have to touch on. First one yeah. being that after his offer was rescinded, you went within your own network to try to find this person a job. Is that, I don't want to say is that normal, but I feel like you go above and beyond in your role. <laughs> is that true? Or is, is that what people in your role are supposed to do? I would say no, it's not what we're supposed to do. Typically, if there's a candidate or you have a candidate within your network, you want to keep them in your network. And so giving them away or sending them other jobs wouldn't be appreciated from a business standpoint, because it's like, we've did this work to get this candidate. We'd rather put them in a bucket of people that we would call in the future versus securing them a job somewhere else. And now we don't have access to them. So I would say, no, it's not a best practice. And also I morally, I'm not going to do that. (laughs) Like, I'm not going to hold on to you just because there's a job that may come. Right. I'm not going to lead you on. And it was such a unique situation. Like you just had a job and like you were going to go to work in two days and now you're not. So what can we do? And I just looked at it from that perspective. Like, what can I do now with the tools that I have Mm. to help this person? Right. Because if they come back later, it's possible you can come back later. I have people that come back to me. I had a person that reached out to me was like, hey, I'm trying to get my offer letter signed. I'm like, I don't work there anymore. So, <laughs> but I've built up that rapport and those relationships so much that people still reach out to me for different things and they'll refer people to me for different things. And ultimately, we're all looking for the same thing. You need a job. I need to get someone a job. So, yeah. Now, the second piece I want to touch on is you having to get this laptop back. So not only are you the recruiter and the sourcer, you are now the body of the company where it's like, give us these laptops back because we messed up. How did that onus, how does that get on to you all? The only way that I can think of it is that, okay, so when you're talking to a sourcer, you're talking to your recruiter, that's the person that you've built the most rapport with. So if I'm going to work with anybody, I'm probably going to work with this person versus some random person reaching out to me saying, hey, get my laptop back. It's like, you don't even know my situation. And especially in this situation, you know, it could have been very, it could have been very heated, could have been very aggressive and like unfriendly. Mm-hmm. So it's probably better to talk to the person that you, <laughs> that you do know the most that you've been talking to the most versus someone else, because I could imagine, and that was one of my fears of like, he's going to hold this laptop hostage. You know, Someone needs to pay me before I give (laughs) this laptop back. And I would probably be like the negotiator, the person that comes in and kind of like Mm -hmm. talks them down. And so I think that's how it sort of fell in my responsibility. But yeah, I do agree that there should be a middle person for those situations. And even with rescinding the offer, I feel like I understand why I needed to do it. But at the moment that I was told that, I was like, oh, so you're going to do this because you're a manager, right? You know, (laughs) someone else is going to have this conversation and manage it and do the manager thing because this is supervisor. Like, can I speak to a supervisor sort of thing? Like, this is not, (laughs) this is not for me. (laughs) But I mean, it worked out. And after having that situation, I just felt like, 
I can tell anybody anything. <laughs> so I have no trouble saying like, okay, this role is closed. It's just closed. Or like, hey, they're changing the responsibilities and your profile doesn't necessarily align anymore. Do you want to still go for it or do you not want to go for it? Chances are be better to hold off for something that is a little more aligned with your goals. This is not the type of job that you're describing to me that you're interested in. These are benefits. This is the salary. Like, I don't have an issue being transparent about anything. I feel like that was the hardest conversation I've had to have. Mm-hmm. And until I have something harder, everything else is just like, I'll just tell you, this is what it is. With love and care, this is what it is. Well, at least like there was a lesson learned from the situation. Some good came out of it. Yes. Yes. Most definitely. I'm stronger than yesterday. I can, <laughs> I can, I can say that. <laughs> And yes, when to wrap up some of our conversation today, I do want to dig in more and jump into the brain of a recruiter or sourcer. So the first thing is you mentioned going on LinkedIn and you find individuals that you would say like, hey, we have these roles open. When you're on LinkedIn and you're looking for people, who are the people that actually draw your attention? Who are you like, I need to go talk to them because I think they'd be a great fit for an open role that I have. Oh, easy. One, having a photo, whether that's a Bitmoji or an icon or whatever, that helps a lot because in recruiting, it's such personable work. You're working with people. And so I need to be able to identify you as a person. So if I see no photo, I'm like, is this person even on LinkedIn? What's going on? And I know that sometimes people feel more shy about putting up their actual photo. That's why I suggest like you do a Bitmoji and that way it's like it's still an essence of you without it actually being you without you actually having to expose yourself. So photos always help more bitmojis. And then people that have some sort of personality in their profile. Like, yes, it's nice to know what skills you worked on and which projects you've done. And also, who are you as a person? How can we connect outside of this? Because I understand that we're going to have this call and we're going to go over all the technical skills and need motivations for a job. Mm -hmm. Also, how am I going to communicate with you and how are we going to interact? And I think that having the personal piece, whether it's you do puzzles or at least one hobby helps. And I've spoken to people where I'm like, I would never do this. You know, like I would never scuba dive um, or whatever the case is. (laughs) And, And we have a conversation about that. And that gives me a better understanding of this person and what they need from our working relationship as well. So I would say those two aspects and then always listing out your skills and the order of which you work with them the most. So consciously we do that anyways. A lot of times I'll look at a profile and it may say Java, Python, and then if SQL's at the end, that's probably what you work with a lot less. Also your stakeholders, who are you working with and a little description of your team. Those are all the things that I would look for. I do have to ask because LinkedIn is so, I'll say business oriented, right? How do you add that personal piece? How do you show that on your LinkedIn profile? So I would add it to my intro and then also LinkedIn has the headlines and in my headline for the longest, it was like Spotify user. I had to change that because a lot of people thought that I worked for Spotify and I'm like, no, I'm just like strongly against Apple music, Spotify user, and then Uno enthusiast. I love Uno. I have like 17 Uno decks. Every time an Uno deck comes out, I'll get it. And so people will message me like, hey, do you play Uno online or share a playlist with me? And those are nice conversations to have. And it's not, it doesn't have to be like, hey, I'm looking for a job or hey, I need you for a job. I can actually engage with you on a personal level and 
you can see if you would want to work with me because just because a recruiter re- reaches out to you doesn't mean you actually want to work with that person. They may be unpleasant or not your vibe. And so how do you figure out the vibe? So yeah. I would say your headline, your intro, you can also join different groups on LinkedIn. They don't necessarily have to be for business. I know a lot of them are geared towards your skill set or whatever language you're coding in or working on. But there's also a lot of like, LinkedIn for anime or anime for LinkedIn, you know, like that shows the things that you're interested in. And I keep referencing anime because that's what <laughs> I'm into. But if you're into baking, maybe a thing there, you know, or share a different article about bake shop. So I think, yeah, you know, share some things, join some groups, share some things and write it down in your intro and your headline. Nice. I'm actually going to take some of these tips for myself so I can update and be a little bit more personable. Yeah, go ahead. Now, in regards to once you get, you start connecting with people and you get that to the point of a recruiter screen for people who are listening and they're going through the process, what's one or two things that you can do during that process to make you memorable, but also kind of get you to that next round? Yeah, I think a follow-up email is always great. And just say like, hey, I really like the conversation that we have and please send me the job description. Just responding and say, hey, I received this and reference something from the conversation in that email. I think that that helps you be- become memorable. Yasmin, is there any yeah. story that you can share about something that would be helpful for the listeners? It's like an experience that you've had within the process that you really remember and made an impression on you? Well, I would say one of the things that always leaves an impression on me is resumes that don't have any information and then LinkedIn's that don't have any information. And, and when I say no information, I, I'm, it's just like your title and your job description. And once I was looking for a React developer and I'm screening applicants. So I'm going through the applications. Mm-hmm. Resume said nothing. And I imagine it's because they chose the option to upload for LinkedIn. Oh, which you can do, but if your LinkedIn doesn't have anything on it, then why would why would you do that? So I send them a rejection email. And this is one of the times that I was getting responses from the rejection emails, and I'm like trying to have a conversation to be like, "Hey, this is what's going on." Oftentimes, you can send the rejections from like a do not reply, but in this case, I didn't have that option, so it's just coming from my email. They know who rejected them, <laughs> and so the resume didn't say anything. LinkedIn didn't say anything, just titles. And I'm just like, I don't know what you do. And when there's <laughs> 300, 400 candidates, I'm not going to pick up the phone and fire any further. It's just like, okay, well, this is the effort that you put in. And so, you know, bye. So I send the rejection and they respond like, I have 12 years of experience and this is ridiculous. Why wouldn't you just call to figure it out? And I'm like, why would I do that? <laughs> right. <laughs> why would I just call you to say, oh, well, what do you do? I'm not going to do that. And so we're like essentially arguing back and forth via email. And they're like, well, how was I supposed to know to update my LinkedIn? And I'm like, because you're applying for a job. I don't just need your phone number and your name. I'm not just going to call you because of that. You know, like, yeah. what does that mean? What do you do? Who are you and at this point? <laughs> yes, who even if there's no photo on the LinkedIn. And that was one of the things that stood out to me. And it happens every so often, but I just think it's funny because what world do you live in where you just don't have any information floating around and you, you expect me to reach out? 
like what am I reaching out for <laughs> to figure out who you are like that's not that's not my job um that's not that's how not this what, works. what I'm doing and I can't do that for every person you can wrote something like hey I have 12 years of experience you could have said that like as a cover letter or something like that but yeah when they have the pushback I think they stand out more than just seeing a resume it's like okay you didn't put anything on there I don't know what happened it's like you have put all this energy into responding to me when you could have just wrote something on your resume. Oh, and then you've mentioned a couple times that people will reply back to the rejection email. First of all, I've never done that. So I didn't know that was a thing. What are they <laughs> replying back and saying? Sometimes they're really sweet. They're like, thank you for letting me know. I appreciate it. I'm going to try better next time. Sometimes they ask for feedback and those are emails that I really try to respond to. Technically, it's best practice not to respond to a rejection email, especially if it's just at the stage of reviewing the resume, Mm -hmm. just because there's going to be so many. Uh, You want to give everyone the same response at that point. Once they get into the interview process, you can be more transparent and give them more feedback over the phone. You would call and give them the specific feedback as to why we're not moving forward. Uh, but when it's just resume review, when people do ask why, I do my best to respond and say, hey, I was looking for these skills. And then sometimes they're like, I have that. And I'm like, moving forward, put that on your resume. And they know for next time. And sometimes they're nasty. I've gotten some pretty some pretty hard responses where I'm just like, geez, wrong day. I must have just caught you on a bad day. I mean, things happen. And like you said, people are going through a lot of, and you know, actually speaking of people going through things, you know, a lot of layoffs are happening. And I'm wondering if you have any pieces of advice for people who are being laid off for people who are currently on the hunt. Yes, there are a ton of layoffs. In a lot of ways, it is disheartening. And I, I really feel for those people, my heart go, goes out to them because I can see a lot of people just started new jobs and just got their offer and only for the rug to be pulled from under them. And I know that's devastating and it's a challenge to deal with and to even want to apply for a new job because you you can get that anxiety of, well, is the same thing going to happen right now? Like how stable is this company that I'm applying for? And so my best advice is to, as you're going through your interview process, is really ask those questions of like, why is this role open and what's the scope long term and how is this role coming about? If they're able to tell you what budget is it coming from and things like that, that's great to know and it'll be comforting. Another piece of advice is to be as detailed as possible with what you've done and what you'd like to do and who you've worked with. I think that's what set a good candidate apart from a great candidate is the amount of detail and be flexible. I would say some candidates are a little less flexible than others in terms of what their conversation package looks like. And I'm not saying settle for less. I am not saying settle for less. I think that everyone should always try to get the most money. But what does that look like? If you're getting more RSUs and maybe you have a bigger bonus with a lower base salary, look at the total package and not just one aspect over the other. In my experience, you're talking to a candidate that's laid off they are fused to what they were making and they want to make more. And I totally understand that. It just may look a little different between organization to organization. Like maybe Google gives less stock and a higher base salary and Facebook may do the opposite. 
see what the total package is and ask for that. Look at the benefits as well and really focus on what you need from a role, whether that's stability, whether that's growth, and hone in on those things. Ask the recruiter or the sourcer questions about the aspects that really matter to you because the money will come as the job market gets better and things get better. But you definitely want to be in a role that you're happy in, essentially, that you enjoy what you're doing and also get the most money. I'm, I'm never I'm never against that. And I'm, I'm never going to tell people, don't shoot for the stars. Like, I know we all have bills. Things are expensive. Netflix is charging more. But also, it's important to communicate those things that truly make you happy in a role that motivates you to come to work. And if that's working with more senior people, so you get more exposure and more experience to different aspects of your career goals, or if it is having training opportunities to grow as a leader, if it's working with different tools, those things are important in addition to compensation. Yes. Never settle for less. Never, never, never. Yes. When you mentioned RSUs, I believe you called it, right? Yes. And for people who are listening and don't know what that is, what are RSUs? RSUs are restricted stock units. So they're typically given as a part of a compensation package for these big tech companies. So you get part of the company in stock and you can sell them or you can keep them, but it adds to your compensation package. And yes, when we have talked through your career, we've talked through the mind of our recruiters. And to end today's conversation, I know we've covered a lot. I just want to give an open floor. Anything that we didn't cover in today's episode that you think would be helpful tips, advice, or just thoughts from you to share with the listeners? Yeah, for tech folk, and I deal with this a lot, be responsive. Mm. Regardless if you don't want the role or not, it's super important. I'll tell you this, and this is, this is something that a lot of people don't know. When you're a recruiter and you're sending LinkedIn emails, you have a definite number of emails. And if people don't respond, regardless if they click yes or no, if they respond, you get that credit back. So I could actually run out of emails if no one responds. But also if no one responds, that means that my messages weren't captivating enough for them to, <laughs> to open. But so just always respond because that's how you build that relationship. You want me to respond to you. I want you to respond to me. Let's just have that common understanding and this mutual respect that responds. And then being humble is super important. A lot of tech people, in my experience, a lot of them that I speak to are really down to earth and they are happy to talk you through, especially product managers. They want to sell you on their experience. I, I love talking to them because they're so thorough and so personable. I think, yeah, let that personality shine when you have those conversations and also being humble because on the opposite end, I've spoken to people that are like, I've worked at these tech giants. And so I don't get out of bed for under a hundred dollars an hour. And I'm like, okay, well, good night. Like, <laughs> you know, and, and, and hang up sort of thing. It's no reason to talk to people that way. I think in general, we all just out here trying to make it. We're all right. just out here trying to make it. And so you don't have to speak to me like you're better than me or you're better than anyone else or anything like that. Like, I think you're cool already. That's why I wanted to talk to you. So like, you know, like you could just <laughs> be humble and be as you as you can be. I think that's an excellent note to end on. Well, Yasmin, I appreciate you and enjoyed you on the episode today. And yeah, thank you for all the tips and advice that you shared. 
Yeah, thanks for having me, Dina. I really appreciate it. It's, it's been a pleasure. Thank you for listening to Black Tech Unplugged. I'm Dina McKay, and you can find the show on all social media platforms under Black Tech Unplugged. And if you haven't already, please subscribe to the podcast on whatever platform you're listening to this episode. And if you have a few extra minutes, make sure to leave a five-star review too. It will help me out a lot and help other people find the podcast. Until next time.